You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am one of your hosts, Derek, and I have your other host, Ryan, right here. That's right. Here I am. Here you are. And there we are. Whatever. And here we are. I don't know. Let's get existential. Uh, we are your Nicolas Cage movie review podcast. This week, we are reviewing 2005's The Weatherman. R and we has been a prominent couple of words used so far in this podcast, and that's probably not going to change. Yeah, probably not. No. Just just in the first couple minutes, we've said we are or are we or whatever, <laughs> like 10 yeah, times. Um yeah youth of the nation that's right we, we, we maybe you and i aren't but some no people, that's true not the youth <laughs> some listeners hello fellow children <laughs> we are the nicholas gage podcast <laughs> yeah. oh those years uh when we get to con air maybe we can have buscemi on to yeah you know, that's our plan i think i think yeah he's just waiting um mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so uh, the weatherman, for those who don't know, according to IMDb, is about a Chicago weatherman separated from his wife and children, debates whether professional and personal success are mutually exclusive. Um, I don't really think that synopsis does the movie justice, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to say about this movie. I think it's worth noting that we both had heard of this movie and, you know. Maybe I don't know if you'd heard good things. I'd heard things, lots of weird things about it. I didn't really know what to expect. I had heard mostly good things. I had wanted to see it, so I have now. Um, yes, yeah. Great. So the the movie co-stars uh, Michael Caine trying mm-hmm. his darndest to not oh, have a God. British accent, and and Nicholas Holt at the uh, old age of fifteen, little yeah. baby Nicholas Holt. Uh, there's a few other people you might recognize in the movie. Um, Hope Davis, for example, Peter Gross is in there uh, briefly, but, uh, but that's the movie. That's the, the main cast anyway of the film. Um, what we really usually do here is Ryan takes notes while he watches the movie. And then we go through those notes and I have, I have a little surprise for you, Ryan. You took notes too. I, I took notes. Look at this. Look oh boy. Notes. I got, I got notes. You're trying to take my job away. Okay, yeah. I see how it is. I, t- I, took some- I was nervous because I had to watch this one a little bit earlier. Like there's two, there was a larger gap between watching and recording. And I just gotcha. wanted to make sure that I didn't forget anything. It's really important because while I'm usually the notes, you're usually the memory. <laughs> so yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, if you don't remember, then we're just kind of in trouble. Yeah. If I don't remember, it didn't happen in the movie. Right. That's how know? we stick with that. Yeah. It's the coming of cage cut. Of that's film. right um so so yeah and i guess i don't know if this is worth noting or not but this episode is going to release on christmas day so so if you're listening on christmas day thank you and (laughs) i hope you have a better life the next few years and can do something more wholesome and nice i mean i hope you at least got some nicholas cage movies for christmas if you're listening to a nicholas cage podcast on christmas that's right and before we get into this i i just wanted to throw out there that uh I had a Nicolas Cage dream last night. Not my first one since we started this podcast. No. Have you had a Nicolas Cage dream? You have never brought it up on the podcast. Not not to my memory. You're no. not really a dreamer. Not much. I don't think I've ever heard you tell me a dream. 
I'm not a dreamer of dreams. Okay. Well, I had one, and it was not just Nicolas Cage. It was also Henry Cavill, and oh. which are two of my favorite actors. So, And it was not a sex dream, if that surprises anybody. <laughs> Normally, if I when I told my girlfriend I had a Nicolas Cage or a Henry Cavill dream, you know, on their own, then she just assumes it was a sex dream. Um, but no, in this case, we were just like hanging out at a party. And at one point I was just like talking to Nick about how great his movies are and how much I love him. And uh, he was really nice. And then Henry Cavill walked into the, into the gathering and I said, I love you, Henry. And he, he said, I know you do and pointed at me and started popping his pecs. So was he shirtless? No, it's just a really tight shirt. Oh, I guess I don't okay. know how do dreams even work I don't know but I remember <laughs> that much I'm sure like I remembered more when I immediately woke up and I didn't notate it so that's as much as everybody gets all right okay I, I hope that you have a Nicolas Cage dream soon Derek I can I can I can hope that's all we mm-hmm. can do is, is hope mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. agreed okay so the weatherman <laughs> weatherman 2005 let's go 2005 <laughs> that's right uh my first note is Nick Cage hair and what was also wrong with his hair refreshed uh, because I think there was something earlier in the movie that said refreshed, but no, nothing's wrong with his hair. His hair looked great, <laughs> oh, like okay. way more youthful and exuberant than we've seen it ever, probably. Yeah. Uh, so he he does he 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 said he's he's getting ready for 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 work. He's practicing. Yes. He's he is a weatherman. Right, so he's practicing the weatherman. Oh, he's the point. weatherman. He's the the. That's right. Yeah, that's my second notice. Rehearsing weatherman poses, and that's where the refreshed thing happens because he's like washing his face or whatever, and he's like, "This is refreshing." Yeah, I'm refreshed. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of really uh, good like single lines in this movie yes. that if you just take them out of context, it's still really great. It's so good. Uh, uh, there are so many great lines from him in this. Yeah. And he's, he narrates the movie. So ding on our mm-hmm. KJO bingo. Yeah, uh, that, that I thought that was interesting, too. The, they were telling this like uh, like he's reciting it from memory almost. And there were scenes where he was just daydreaming. And it was literally just like a line of thought uh, that was clearly had some. He clearly is afflicted with some sort of mental thing. Um, I don't know if it's ADHD or some sort of other uh you know he gets distracted easily yeah and and is but it's not just that his his line of thinking goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and will like connect two things together essentially in a string of thoughts that are not related at all but um that's fair yeah yeah it's it's interesting but yeah he starts rehearsing his weatherman poses uh he realizes that oh he goes out to his car and he has a ticket for uh uh expired tags yeah and so he goes to the dmv uh and the guy behind him calls him bro like 30 times and asks him for an autograph and he tells (laughs) the guy like oh no that's not me the guy you think it is and then the guy looks at like his car registration that he's holding in his hand and and it has the guy's name on it and and it's so he knows that it is he is in fact this weatherman he's like bro you don't gotta be a dick about it bro and uh yeah so they have kind of a confrontation um but he presumably gets his tags uh, we don't really ever see the fulfillment of that plot point but have you been losing sleep over that plot well plot uh i mean i just watched it yesterday so i can't say i've lost like a ton of sleep multiple nights or anything but it definitely bothers me that i didn't get to see him go through the dmv process <laughs> um Jeez. so yeah then he picks up his daughter from school i think it was 
yeah uh 12 year old daughter mm-hmm. and uh he he's just driving her home i guess to his ex-wife yes or ex-lover well uh, they were they were married okay yeah i didn't know if yeah. it actually all right so that but yeah um yeah that his ex-wife but she the daughter decides that she wants to get out of the car early and walk home which just the fact that uh he would let her 12 year old daughter just walk home and it's, it's this is like where does this take place and mostly in chicago chicago they do it's very cold York, it's but... snowing like the whole movie clearly in the middle of winter and he's like sure daughter 12 year old daughter you can just go to this strange place and buy things and then walk home and he has no issue with that and then she goes and buys cigarettes which i mean the woman doesn't even like bat an eye at carting this 12 year old who clearly looks like she's young um, yeah but what are you gonna do guess they have bigger things to worry about over in chicago yeah um then we let's see my next one is michael kane american accent dash not good <sighs> it slips man look, look look michael kane is a great actor i don't think either of us would ever dispute that and there's actually a few scenes later on that just show how great of an actor he is but his american accent they should just not have him do it because there was multiple times when he just like slipped and you could just certain his inflection on certain words i'm guessing he didn't have any kind of like a uh accent coach or whatever they there's some sort of title for that um yeah, but, yeah accent coaches that, that's a thing uh dialect coaches dialect coach depending yeah. on, on the situation but um yeah i mean there's a couple of things about michael so michael kane plays as nick cage's father and he's you know this pulitzer prize winning writer and you know he like plays like tennis or something with like an ex-president i don't remember but um the fact that he's american is kind of irrelevant like he could be british yeah i don't think that would have changed the story like even just trying to do an american accent if he if it was which obviously he was trying that but it was the most generic american accent it wasn't you know chicago has their own accent well, right. Yeah, so, but uh, no, Nick doesn't have the Chicago accent No, either. that's true. That's true. But, I mean, I feel like if they had leaned into, like, a, a regional accent a little bit mm. more, then maybe it would have hidden the British slips rather than doing just a gem- generic American accent that doesn't really sound like anything other that's than generic fair. American, you know? Yeah. Which is probably what most people would consider a Midwestern accent, I would think. But I don't know. I don't know enough about dialect to... Well, well, I'll tell you. We so we live in Kansas City. For those who don't know, Kansas City is considered accent neutral. Is it? Apparently. Well, that's but what he sounded like. When I I listened to him, he didn't sound like he had an accent, which probably means that that's accent neutral. You know. Yeah, but yeah, it goes. And I I wrote that note too. I said Michael Caine's accent is terrible. Yeah, (laughs) and we we find out shortly after this that. Nick Cage's character is desperate to get approval of people he cares about. It's really important to him to have approval um, from from the people. He's not close to like like it doesn't really show him having friends or anything no, like that. We don't see any friends. He doesn't even really hang out with colleagues. Yeah, um, and so I mean, yeah, and even when he shows up to parties and stuff later, he he just doesn't say anything really to colleagues. He just gives like superficial hellos or whatever he kind of comes off like a less successful version of his the uh the family man character like the way he he had friends in that 
well, he had like coworkers and they were, you know, hobnobbing and networking and stuff. I don't sure. know, you know, he had friends. Well, in any case, in this movie, he does not have any friends and no. he's desperately seeking approval from those people that he does interact with on a daily uh, basis. But uh, yeah, so when his dad, he has to take his dad to a doctor's appointment. And uh, so he sets this letter like really obviously down in the seat in the passenger seat and like there's there's a lot of i don't know the popular term is cringe but awkward kind of moments that are created by this character and for me at least i don't know if it's the same for you derek but it it, it kind of made this character very endearing to me hmm. i i did want he, i mean he was a weird guy don't get me wrong but like i did feel bad for him and i wanted him to like get a win at some point yeah. You um, want to see him succeed, but he's I, this is the best word I have for him. He's a doofus. Yes, a kind doofus. Like you don't really see him be malicious to anybody other than the maybe a couple the guy that seeks an autograph in the beginning. Yeah. The, well, any the two guys who try and get his autograph, he's pretty mean to. Yeah, that's but, true. But other than that, not enough for me to like check the Nick is an asshole box on the board because I don't think he's an asshole. No. He's just in a rough place in his life and he and he's nice to most people right um but yeah so he sets this letter down in the passenger seat and when his dad sit, get, gets in he just sits on it and doesn't even notice it uh <laughs> and they go into the doctor's appointment and his dad asks him for a uh a newspaper or a newspaper and i think around this time we get like our one of our best one of our early voiceovers maybe our first like real voiceover other than maybe the intro well we don't really i don't even think we really get the voiceover in the intro he's saying that he's refreshed well no that's happened that that was a voiceover but oh, was it but that was it it wasn't much so you're well, right this, this yeah this is more of like the str- first start of the string of thoughts voiceovers mm-hmm. uh and so he goes to go get a newspaper out of one of those old like ones where you put a quarter in and pull the thing and it closed he closes it on accident before he gets the <laughs> the newspaper. And, I've seen that happen in real life, man. Oh yeah. I think everybody <laughs> that lived through that era has seen that. And so then after the era that, of has, 2005, that era. That is an era, man. That There's people a, that could listen to this podcast that didn't live through that era. So um, so children, uh newspapers are p- pieces of paper with news on them. They're kind of like if you printed your phone. And <laughs> You used to have yeah. to pay a quarter to get one out of a spring-loaded machine. Right. And uh, so he he wastes that quarter, and then he doesn't have <laughs> another quarter, so he That's goes so to Arby's. Funny. And this is where the there was so much product placement in this, Dude. but I think it was intentional. I think I'm just too stupid to understand what the significance of it is. So I've thought a lot about it, because I made a list of yeah, every product too. placement I, I could remember. Yeah, I have a bunch on here. And I kept trying to figure out what that point was. And even on IMDb, like I like to look at the trivia and it, one of the trivia pieces mentions the, uh, the fast food theme. Yeah. But there's no fast food theme in the movie outside of Of the the product product placement. placement. Yeah. So I don't get it except, okay. I have one far out idea. So he's not a meteorologist. It comes up multiple times. He is not a meteorologist. He has no meteorology degree. He is a weatherman. And he's just told what to say, basically. So are they trying to say that his job is like the fast food of weather? I think that's a stretch. Okay. I think it has more to do. They do mention something later in the movie, like towards the very end, where they say something like, uh, 
you know, people are willing to throw this cheap food at him that they didn't, you know, even care about, or they cared about hurting right. him more than they cared about the cost of the food or whatever. Yeah. Those lines. Uh, and yeah. so I'm wondering if that was the theme, but it still was, I think it was more just, I don't know, the product placement was so obvious. I'm sure they got a good amount of money for that. Sure. Uh, no, absolutely. But I think maybe, maybe you're right. Cause yeah, he talks about how like, there's no nutritional value to yeah, it. Exactly. And, but, like, and that wonder... might be like his way he views his job too. Yes. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll get more into that, but uh, yeah, he, he, so he goes to Arby's and he asks them to break a dollar for him and they say no. And so he sees on the board that he can get a coffee for 70 cents or something like 72 that. 72 cents. Yeah. And so he asks for a coffee and then they ring it up and say it's 80 cents. <laughs> And so, well, no. so he hands him the dollar first before he yeah. hears the total. That's oh, important. Yeah. And he he gets handed back a couple of dimes, <laughs> and and he goes, "I thought this was seventy three cents." And they, and and they say, "Well, with tax or whatever, something along those lines." All in, it's eighty. All all in, it's eighty. And so he takes the coffee <laughs> and doesn't get the newspaper and show. He's waiting for his dad outside of this appointment, and his dad asks where his newspaper is, and he says he didn't have money for it. And so the dad's like, well, you've got a coffee. It's so awkward. It's and he's awkward like, scene. he's like, yeah, I didn't have enough after the coffee. And they just kind of go back and forth. And eventually he says, like, you should carry more than a dollar on you. Something which, along those lines. The dad says that. Which makes me feel bad because the whole reason he only has a dollar is because he gave his daughter the 20 that he had. Right. To go buy cigarettes. Yeah. Even though he didn't know she was getting cigarettes. Right. Right. Which um, uh, having the 20, I don't know, would have helped anyway. He needed quarters to get the newspaper. Right. <laughs> um. So we need, next we get a scene with Nicholas Holt uh, where he is like shopping, I think, at, like a thrift store, something like that. I don't know. It's some sort no, of it's store. At, it's at the mall. He's at a department store in the mall. OK. Yeah. And then this uh, they're talking about this guy that's there. That's one of his counselors. So it's worth noting that at this point, we, we've learned that Nicholas Holt's character, uh, he plays Nick's, Nick Cage's son. His name is Mike. Uh, he has been in rehab for marijuana. Yes. So, and that's... so this guy is one of his counselors for his marijuana rehabilitation. Um, and, and he mentions that he's there with his friend and he mentions it to his friend. And then the guy walks up to him and and there's bad vibes right away. I mean, whoever this guy that they got to play this this role did a really good job for such a terrible role that he had to play, but um you definitely get like pedophile vibes right away off of him. Gil Bellows for those curious. Yeah. And he like he's like, "Hey, hey, hey bro, like let's I get a deep discount here. Let me get that for a sweater for you that you want. It's only going to be 7 bucks with my discount." And so he buys him the sweater and the next next scene you see, you see him like hanging out with the kid, Nick's kid outside waiting for the dad to pick him up. Um, and he's wearing the sweater at that point. And uh, the, when he's walking towards his dad, he, he, this guy is like ogling him the whole way. It's very uncomfortable. Um, and Nick's he gets into the car, Nicholas Holt and, this, and Nick's like, oh, nice sweater sharp or something like that yeah complimenting the sweater and he asks about who this guy was and doesn't even second guess it because he says he's a counselor and you know he just kind of is good with that um so he drops 
his son off at the house at his ex-wife's house and he's talking to his ex-wife and you can tell that he still has like severe feelings for this woman and he's not over it and so he's trying to be flirty and she's not really receiving it uh and so eventually she ends up like heading towards the house (laughs) (laughs) oh my god the awkwardness and so he he's like hey hey and he gets a snowball together and he throws it at her and it nails her directly between the eyes and breaks her glasses and uh and she's just like freaking out over what happened and he is obviously you know not happy with how this turned out but it's kind of just everything the way this his whole life works out you see through this movie is everything is an awkward snowball to the face i Um, like that that's a good line yeah and i mean it just feels like that um so you i mean you're still feeling bad for this guy really the theme of the whole movie is you're feeling bad for this guy because you want something good to happen to him and pretty much the whole gamut nothing really good happens to him up until maybe the very end could be argued but um so then we get a wendy's oh so okay so there's another theme in this movie of things being thrown at nick they apparently people see the weatherman and their first instinct is to throw fast food at him or throw things at him. It's just in general. I think he had a potato thrown at him or something at one point. Well, he gets an, uh, a McDonald's apple pie thrown at, at him point, later yeah. in the movie. That one's a big one. Yeah. But the, but at this point it's flurry or a, a, well, a yeah, frosty. Or frosty from frosty. Wendy's. Yeah. Um, and he, he drops that name. He, he runs into his dad. He gets this frosty thrown at him. And uh, he, so he has like this chocolate, stuff all over his shoulder and he runs into his dad and his dad asks what this is and he says it's a frosty and his dad has no idea what a frosty is because his dad is kind of portrayed as like this high class guy that is doing thing that what he wouldn't really know much about fast food or like that life yeah i mean he's still a, like american though living in chicago like he? that accent well he's supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be i just find it unlikely that you could exist in the united states for decades and never hear what a frosty is never see a wendy's commercial in your life i just find that unlikely yeah and so he has this frosty stuff all over him um and uh he it's funny because like i like to you know i i'm a movie guy just like derek is so like i i like behind the scenes stuff and like how did they do that kind of effect type stuff and so with this frosty when he i it was totally believable as a frosty oh yeah I, it lost a little bit for me only when he like went to uh wipe it off his shirt and like taste it or whatever he i don't think he actually tasted it but he just like lifted it up off his shirt but it you could tell like the consistency was more like a slime than it was like a shake so fun fun fact if you let them sit out for a while they get like that Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Well, then that made it even, that's even more believable then. But <laughs> they totally it, do. it was just funny because, yeah, it, it clearly looked like the slimes you see in, like, uh, you know, kids' videos and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's I, now I know something that I don't have any way of unknowing. So thank you for that, Derek. Well, there's, there's more to that scene that you might enjoy. Oh, yeah. Go for it. So there's the spoon. He has a spoon that's stuck to his oh, jacket. Yeah. yeah, that was good. It's not it's not a plastic spoon. They used a metal spoon and there's a magnet behind his jacket to hold the spoon in place during the scene. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it worked. It was yeah, great. Oh, totally. it, it, 
and it just kind of that tiny little detail just kind of adds to the fact of how much of like a failure this guy really is. He's just walking around with a spoon literally Doofus. stuck to him. Yeah. It's sad. Um, it's my sad, next man. note is a quote. I don't like his asshole face. Oh, okay. I remember now. <laughs> uh, So it's showing like clips of him being a weatherman. Yeah. And like audience reactions. It's... And there's this one couple that's Jesus. watching this. And the wife is like, I like him. And the guy's he's like, handsome. Yeah, he's handsome. And the guy's like, nice no, asshole. And she's like, no, no, he's not. He's nice. I like his hair. And he's like, no, I don't like his asshole face. I don't like his asshole hair. You know, and like it's just really or funny. his name. Yeah, right? or his name. Yeah, he's making fun of his name. Because his name um, is Spritz. Right, but that's not his real name. That's, nah, his, no. that's his weatherman name. That's right. Which apparently is a thing. I don't know. I, I mean, so so there is an interesting thing. Apparently, he Nick uh, saw a lot of parallels between his life and this character, uh, David Spritz, because of all the things that they go through. And one of the comparisons is this, because Nick Nicholas Cage, that's not his real name. Right. He changed. He has a stage name and David Spritz has a stage name. Um, and so that is a common thing for people to do. Yeah. Um, not Weatherman, probably. I mean, probably but, not regional weather people, um, right? But yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of a stretch. So the the next part, he talks about how easy things are when you're on TV. Um, how easy things come to you when you're on TV, and so like it shows him doing a Lincoln impersonation, like oh, he's dressed up as Abraham Lincoln uh, at some sort of like local like historical reenactment or something. And uh, and this lady there just like really wants to fuck Lincoln big time. And so the next scene, after they give each other eyes, she's literally like bouncing around with one boob out on top of him while he's still dressed as Lincoln. Uh, and it's just so funny because he doesn't even really seem to be into it. He's just like letting it happen to him. Yeah. Um, so then we get like our checkbox for nudity and Nick Cage sex. Uh on our bingo card if you had that this week i don't know if you had those on your card this week but um yeah so (laughs) after this weird scene he it shows him going to his ex-wife's house and he wants to pick up their kids to go to this uh party this work party at an ice skating rink Mm -hmm. and uh so they go the daughter, uh, while they're, they, they end up doing like what, essentially, if you know what a potato sack race is, or it's kind of like that, I guess. I don't know. You have basically, they had like two legs tied together in a sack. It was, it was like a combination between a, a, a potato sack race and a three legged race. Yeah. So they had their leg tied together, but also in a sack and while ice skating. So it's like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> and him and his daughter enter this. And uh, yeah, she falls like halfway down, halfway there and it, it tells him that she's really hurt. And he says, no, no, this is an important lesson. We have to finish. We have to finish this race. And so he forces her to finish. And at the end, she's just like crying and and upset. And then we see him dropping his daughter back off at the house. And she has like this huge cast on her leg. And the mom's like, what, what happened? And he's like, oh, 
tore her, tore her MCL and ACL or tore her, tore her MCL. And she's like, Oh, you, you, you know, you son of a bitch. How did this happen? And then he's like, Oh, listen, it's just an MCL and an ACL. And she's like, when she is it an MCL or an ACL. And he's like, Oh, I think both. <laughs> it's just, it's like both. Uh, and then the, her, like at this point, we didn't, they haven't really explicitly told us what this guy is. It's kind of implied that they're in some sort of relationship together. Right. Yeah. Um, because he's around the kids a lot and around her a lot, but he started stepping in between the wife and Nick. And he just they start calling each other names. And it's and at one point Nick says, You're a dildo pork fuck porker <laughs> to the guy. He is because at that... first he called he started with a dildo. Yeah. And then he called him like a pork fuck. Because I the guy's a little bit thicker, not uh-huh. fat or anything like that, but you know, heavier than Nick, and that's who he just starts combining all that. And, He's pretty yeah. mean to Russ. He is, but this is the guy that is like in a relationship with his ex-wife and is trying to like step up. And you know, in, in Russ's eyes, it was probably he was trying just trying to stand up for the person that he cares about. But in Nick's eyes, he was like trying to be a man and like assert his dominance or whatever. I imagine. I mean, yeah, that's certainly true. I just, um, it's just bad. It's a bad look. Um, Russ reminds me a lot of Judge Reinhold's character in the Santa Claus movie. For those who've ever seen the Santa Claus. No, not not in a long time. Uh, Yeah, same character. They even wore the same sweaters. I I heard read an interview today that said Tim Allen was a huge douchebag on the set of the Santa Claus. Uh, the new show, the TV show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I definitely have not seen that. No, I haven't watched the show. Oh, that was on the show that he was a huge douche. I thought that was on the movie. The well, first I'm, I'm movie. Not, he may have been. I don't know. I have oh, only okay. seen the first two movies. I never saw the show. Yeah, me either. But I thought the article said the Santa, it might have just said the Santa Claus ambiguously. And I just assumed it was the first movie because I forgot there even was a show. Well, so the show's called The Santa Clauses. This is, this is of course plural. it is. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, yeah, Nick. We get another scene of Nick taking his dad to the doctor, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And we get an awkward conversation between Michael Caine and Nick, where he tells him that his daughter's nickname in school is Camel Toe. Another really awkward scene, man. The daughter's twelve years old, but apparently, mean people at school are calling her Camel Toe. Which, if you don't know what a Camel Toe is, it has to do with a woman's genitalia showing through pants. You essentially can find urban urban dictionary urban i don't know what you were trying to say that first time but that was questionable i was anyway dictionary with a j <laughs> oh is that what it was okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, but it that sounds like a bad word like just would it anyway it doesn't matter um <laughs> urban but yeah, then the, dictionary. Movie, the movie shows you like eight camel toes in a row God. just r- from random women presumably um it's a very guess. graphic like you know, you're seeing the entire outline of everything. Um, so that was weird. <laughs> it was definitely weird. I, I That's not something we've ever seen in one of his movies before, I don't believe. Right. Uh, and I think after the, the appointment this time, he finds out that his dad has cancer, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I can't remember the specific uh, type of cancer, but uh, that the, the prognosis is not good. Right um yeah so nick is now dealing with that um but his dad is very stoic about it at this point 
it's not he's just very matter-of-factly about everything um not really getting emotional or anything um so then we get we find out that uh, or no nick talks to his wife and says he wants to try and work things out for the kids and be better the fighting is no good and so they go to therapy together couples counseling for non-couples but also it's not just that it's group therapy group couples therapy yeah. And they one of the things they have them do for this couple's therapy is write the deepest, darkest secret that they have from their partner or former partner or whatever therapy was, and write it on this piece of paper and give it to the other person in the couple and just trust that they're not going to read it. It was a trust-building exercise. So, of course, Nick goes and immediately reads it. So... I do wonder, does this push him into the asshole category? Because it's a pretty dick thing to do. Not for me. I mean, I genuinely think that he just wanted to be the best that he could. And he wanted to try to address whatever that concern was. He wanted to be better. But you may have interpreted it differently. If if, if you think he was an asshole, then you can mark that. I'm not going to mark it on my bingo board but well she was really upset by it and he does the way he handles it at the diner is really like it as a way to be snarky you know Um, now to be fair the thing she wrote is a very personal thing that it's not like something that was about their relationship right it was more just a direct attack on him yeah or something he created um so but yeah basically the note said uh his science fiction novel that he wrote is garbage i hated it i couldn't even read the whole thing or something like that it was pretty mean it was very mean but i mean in her defense she didn't anticipate that he would ever ever read it although if she knew him then she should know that he's gonna read it um and we don't ever really find out if she read his i don't know did she because i thought she pulled it out of her pocket was like i guess i should read yours now i don't remember that anyway uh, yeah, I mean, he does respond in a really snarky way, but I think it's important to know oh, those guys. No, you're right. She does because oh, because of the blowjob yeah. thing. She 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 gives unenthusiastic blowjobs. Yeah, that was his note, which is a, to be fair, a more direct note on the relationship than it was an attack on her. And she, well, kind of because she oh, tells man, him I'm that not it's because. That. she tells him that it's because uh she hated him or something like that yeah she said she hated him and you know yeah i would think that would make anybody unenthusiastic awkward diner scene yes i definitely (laughs) marked that off (laughs) um so then we get 7-eleven product placement i don't remember exactly what it was it was a big gulp that's right. And while he's sitting in his car talking, I think to his dad, he gets a big gulp thrown at him through the window of his car. And it just kind of lands in the uh, passenger floorboard. Yeah, he's actually he's talking to Noreen. Like, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, but yeah. I do think it's I, what I was starting to say was that uh, I think that he does come across as an asshole in parts of this, but it's also important to note that he's going through a lot. I identified with some of the feelings that he felt in this movie. I think probably most people can um, at certain points where you feel like you're alone or, or just, you know, nobody really cares about you or your family is not impressed by you 
or you know or more impressed by other family members you know things like that and uh you know so he and andy found out just found out that his dad has cancer so you know i think having some issues you know processing emotions or dealing with things is understandable to an extent i don't think it necessarily excuses asshole behavior but in the context of what's happening to him you know yeah i get i get it um where were we at oh seven one product place yeah so then archery is my next note so he goes into this while he's sitting i think i think this is while he's sitting with that after getting hit with that big gulp he goes in like this weird direction in his mind with his voiceover talking about how his daughter wanted to do archery and mm-hmm. so he bought her a bow and arrow set and he brought her to this uh training facility where they teach archery and uh she he bought like a three-month membership or something and she only went once or no it was a number of lessons it was like three a five lessons le- yeah a three lesson bundle or something like that and that she was really bad at it, it shows some like flashbacks of her like not even be able to get the arrow off the bow and even the instructor is super flustered by her which an instructor should be used to that at that point so that was a little weird but uh yeah she takes the one lesson and then never goes back and so he's you know, at this point, it's in his mind, and he wants to try and bring her back there to get like a bond going between the two of them. So, okay, so this is where the timeline gets a little confusing to me. Then, so was that supposed to that whole thing was supposed to have taken place in the past? No. Okay. So, where did her leg brace go from tearing her ACL and MCL? Well, you don't really see her again until well, the well, yes, the one lesson was in the past. That was in the past. Yes. Okay. He's I... he's thinking back to something that he did to try and bond with his daughter. Okay. And so and that it did that she never went back. That didn't happen like in the present of the movie. It was right. that that was a memory. Okay. I missed that. So I was a little confused. Okay. So after that scene, we get like uh we get a cut to Nick Cage's kid again, uh, with this creepy counselor guy at his house having Dude, dinner. So bad. Uh, and so he tells the kid that he's that he looks like he's been working out. Do you work out or something like that? Which is like the classic pedophile line, uh, for these type of movies that have something like this in it. And and he, uh, he tells the kid, oh, we should take take some before and after pics so you can see your gains. And uh, so he goes and grabs this like really nice high end DSLR type, well, maybe not DSLR, but like that type. No, of it, was, camera. it was a DSLR. I didn't know if an O five. That's what that would have been considered. But um, yeah, it's it's a pretty nice camera. Um, and or I thought it was an S, maybe an SLR in O <laughs> five. Hard that's to tell. Fair, that's fair. That's fair. but um, yeah, and, and uh, the kid is also an aspiring photographer, so immediately recognizes the camera. Yeah, he and, wants to be a sports journalist, I think is what he said. Yeah, and then the guy is like, oh, you love cameras. Well, I can let you borrow this one sometime if you want. It's like a $6,000 camera. Like, this is like the real deal. It's a high end, yeah. Yeah. And so the, he's like, okay, t- whip off that shirt and let's, t- let's get these pics going. And so he takes like 30 pictures of this kid just flexing. And then the kid s- sits down to eat and he's like, let's get a few more. And so the kid's just like sitting there with a salad in front of him, like flexing shirtless. It was really uncomfortable. Um, Yeah, I I will. I will say this. This storyline kind of taints the whole movie for me a bit. I think this whole storyline could have been completely cut and the movie's instantly better. 
I don't know. I thought that that that's not necessarily true. I think there's other ways they could have gone about it, but the redeeming part at the end was important for his character development. To an extent, with, when we, with when we his get, father, when we get there, we could we yeah. could talk a little bit about okay. it. I, I have some problems with how it's resolved too. So uh, we get my next note is woman's butt tartar sauce. Okay. Um, not those are two separate things. <laughs> not all together. <laughs> Because that does not sound like something you would want in general. Maybe, maybe somebody will. You I do you, man. I mean, yeah. but he's like standing behind this woman at a stoplight like, or like a crosswalk. So it's a flashback because Noreen is trying to explain to David that he gets distracted and is very forgetful. And of course, he doesn't he's not taking ownership of that. So they're they're flashing back to an example where she had desperately asked for tartar sauce for this food that he's going to go pick up she reminds him like six times he gets annoyed that she's reminding him so many times and what happens yeah he forgets it but yeah he gets all this while he's staring at this woman's butt yeah in front of him and he i think is this where he like goes on the thing about eating pussy and how he loves eating pussy and like yeah and I think we get casual racism because he says that black guys don't eat pussy. Yeah, I don't. Uh, the person I was watching this with mentioned that that asked if that was casual racism. I was like, I don't know if that's racist or not. That's definitely casual racism. I mean, racism it's definitely like it's definitely like grouping a, a specific group of people into a belief system, but it's not like discrimination or anything like that it's no different than saying a particular demographic is like bad at driving right that can if you know if it's it's like i'm not going to come up with an example because i don't want to do anything bad here but like it's it is a prejudice generalization so if it's about a race of people then it's racist right but it's about a preference not about a skill i i think it's this i think it's still the same kind of thing like people are you know, there's there's a lot of stereotypes. I mean, is it racist when people, people say that white people don't use seasoning on their food? Well, it's no, because because white people is not the same thing, man. Well, no, no, bro, <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of that's no, like a but generalization it is, it is, about a preference. It is racist, though, if you make a comment about black people liking particular foods, right? Okay. Like, like fried enough. chicken, for then example. Then I guess that would fall into, I, I didn't put it as casual racism because if didn't, I don't know. It, 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 I trust your judgment on that. If you say that's casual racism, it doesn't. I'm not going to get into that because I really like. I'm not a white person. A white male is like, not really the one to talk about what is and isn't racism. Here's, here's a good example, right? People talk about how like you know Asian people are good at math, right? That's that's a racist thing to say. It might be a, a you might be thinking it's a compliment, right? But it's still a racist thing. But again, that's still a skill, not a preference. So I I don't know. That's where it was for me a difference, but I mean, I, again, I'm not going to get yeah. into the weeds on it because I, as a white man, don't really get a say in what is offending to other cultures. So I, you know, I, I if you think that's racism, I'm totally okay with that. Um, I have no problem with that. So we can mark that on the board. Um, fashion show. Okay, so oh, fashion she goes show. up to New York. So that letter that we mentioned earlier was a letter from like essentially what the real world's good morning America or something like that would be um, where it's like a morning news show that's nationally broadcast. uh, And he's trying to show his dad that he's in contention for this 
uh, weatherman role because their weatherman is leaving the show for whatever reason. And and he's in contention for that. So he gets an interview and he goes up to New York and his daughter wants to come with him. And, and his dad uh, needs to go because he's been referred for a second opinion. Specialist. Yeah. yeah. Something like, yeah, I can't remember if it was a specialist or what it was, but yeah, he's definitely yeah. been referred to somebody up there. Um, And so he goes up there with his daughter and on the, I think, is this where they have the conversation directly about camel toe? Or is that later? I don't think I have a note on that. I think it's before this. Because the clothes that they get kind of avoid that situation. Right, but I thought this was maybe on the way up there. Yeah. Man, Either, at some point, he has a conversation with his daughter about what she think, it, what what she's been called at school. And he brings up camel toe as an example. And she said, yeah, they call me that. And he asks if she knows what that means. And she says something like, like complimentary. Like it was not an insult about a seeing a woman's genitals through their pants. But it no, was she's... something like camels are really strong their knuckles are really or toes are really strong because they walk on rocks and hot sand all day or something like that right so she's tough she thinks it's because she's tough yeah um and he doesn't correct her um you know he wants her to have this image that people are complimenting her not insulting her Mm -hmm. but he takes her to some like high-end store in new york uh and buys her a bunch of clothes that were probably really expensive i mean none of those clothes looked like they'd be something you could just go to you know target and get they were high-end clothes yeah absolutely but to be fair earlier in the movie he mentions that he makes 240k a year plus appearances yeah that's true so he's doing fine (laughs) which just seems like really high for a weatherman in 2005 i would think i don't have a frame of reference it seemed like a lot (laughs) Right. especially since he's not a meteorologist admittedly. yeah yeah he, he comes out and just says that he's just guessing based on what other people tell him <laughs> it's so, wind man hey, it's man. wind can i get that job how right? he had a communication he said he had, did have a degree in communications sure or something like that yeah. so i mean it's not like he's completely uneducated or anything but no i don't mean to say that yeah so my next note is pedophilia sure which is very generic uh that so i'm not quite generic. sure what exactly that is in reference to oh because i think while he's in new york he gets the call that uh his son got into a altercation with that guy um and the son said that the guy wanted him to do something to him or vice versa and then the guy says that he tried to jack his wallet that is that nick's son tried to jack his wallet and so the kid broke his window out with a rock, if I remember right. Isn't that what it was? Yeah, well, I mean, they got into a, a physical altercation, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, I think, where the pedophilia thing comes from. Yeah. Um, and so he's obviously worried about his son. Um, but then he also finds out at this time that his dad only has three to four months to live. That's a pretty good exchange. You know, between the two of them, you know, Michael Caine's like talking about how he's got months, and you know, Nick's like, well, like, twelve months, a lot or, of months, you yeah. know. Well, it depends what she thinks a lot, you know, and it's a really kind of heavy, well done scene. Um, yeah, you know, because because Michael Caine's character Robert is is very a matter of fact type. He reminded me of you a bit. Really. Yeah, you're a very matter of fact guy. I mean, you're clearly more emotional than he is, but but <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the time when you say things, it's very 
much like I should know this, you know? Well, not in a negative way necessarily, but (laughs) it's definitely in a way that, you know, you come across like, you know, a lot of things and, and, you know, sure, sure. It's a compliment. I'm comparing Michael Caine. I mean, come on. Sounds like a compliment. Um, But yeah, he finds out he has three or four months to live. And so while this is going on, he's just like, or after he finds this out, he's just like sitting in his hotel room in New York and it's dark out and he's drinking, which was alcohol, drinking alcohol. So that was another board on our thing on our board on our bingo card. But uh, then a SpongeBob balloon just like comes up in front of his window, which I assume this is something he's hallucinating or he's dreaming. Yeah, it's a daydream. Yeah, kind of like the iguanas in that other movie. Um, Well, that was more of (laughs) that was drug induced. That was that was drug induced. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So my next note was just SpongeBob balloon. Don't worry, he comes back a, later. There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole thing where he's like imagining his life with his family because he tells his dad at some point that he's uh, he's got this job interview and that if it ha- if it works out, then he wants to move his whole family up here. You know, move his ex wife and his kids, and ho- hopefully his ex wife and him can give it another go. Um, gri- what what does his dad say? Something like grip up or something like that. Something to do with hands or thumbs or something like that. Yeah, what is his phrasing? I don't yeah. remember. No, I know what you're talking about, but yeah, because it comes knuckle, back later. Knuckle, I think he's got knuckle, knuckle down. Knuckle down. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, knuckle down and and figure out the relationship, and uh, and so he's he's not hallucinating. He's dreaming that he's on this float in like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade or something mm-hmm. like that, or a Christmas parade with his whole family waving out into the crowd, and it's, you know it's this really nice moment. Um, but that didn't happen. It was just a dream. Um, and so, yeah, he has his interview in New York, uh, like the next day. And it seems to go well. Um, they take him to the green screen. He meets Bryant Gumble, who has a few guest appearances on this. Yeah. In this movie. Um, the big cameo in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my next one is glove slap. I can't remember who yeah. he slapped. Yeah, it's what so it? funny. So you have glove slap. I put Nick Cage challenged Russ to a duel. So, okay. so, so when they get back. From oh, yeah, York, that's right. About the uh, pedophilia thing. Yeah. So they, they, he goes inside his ex's house and Russ is down there. And it's just kind of like explaining how Mike is feeling about things. The son and Nick takes off his leather gloves very slowly while Russ is talking. And very, Russ is being totally nice, fine. Yeah. He's not doing anything wrong. He clearly yeah. understands this is a heavy, serious situation. He's trying to be, you know, cautious and careful and respectful. And Nick is just taking off his gloves very slowly. And I'm like, he's not going to do it. He's not. And he just slaps Russ across Blaps the, the face shit with out his of him, gloves. Yeah. Oh my god! He starts yelling at him. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Oh my yeah. god. Oh my god. So my next note is McDonald's product placement. I mean, I know we get the pie, but this is before the McDonald's product placement. This is before uh, the pie. Or, or this is this is before the pie. Yeah, I think he's like next to a McDonald's or sitting outside of McDonald's. Something like that. There's like a huge McDonald's at this point that was too big to ignore uh for like several seconds. But then yeah, he gets the pie thrown at him and he chases down this car that threw the pie at him and throws it back at him while yelling. It was great. Yeah. And he has like the pie remnants all on the like collar of his jacket. 
it was such a good um, scene. I because I think that's something I can really relate to, right? Because there's been stuff like that where someone's done something in public, and all you want to do is just go and like shove that back down their throat, right? But you can't because you're the one who's going to get caught and you're going to get in trouble. But and Nick about does the, it. I mean, at this point, it's happened to him like five times just in the context yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Not even counting like whatever happened outside of the movie that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I can imagine that kind of pent up frustration at something like that continually happening. But, yeah, he runs and yells at this guy. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't remember the sequence of events that leads to this, but we find out that if you got that job in New York, that uh, he'd be making a million two as a weatherman all in. Plus endorsements. Yeah. And there is a cool little exchange there that I appreciate where uh, the he has to he, he has to sign on to Purina, like the dog and pet food and stuff like that. And his dad's like, but he doesn't have a he doesn't have a dog. <laughs> yeah, but I see I didn't like that part as much because it almost seemed like his dad was trying to sabotage him. Like, why can't you just like let this happen? No, I think I think Robert is really about integrity. Right. And he didn't like the idea that his son was going to be uh, legally obligated, contractually obligated to lie. Sure. But also you hate that so much that you're going to ruin your son's chance to get a job making over a million dollars a year. That seems a little crazy to me, which is that's he even says that's more money than I've ever had. He's a little kind of crazy of a character, though. He's very standoffish. He's very cold through most of the movie. There's a few heartwarming moments, but he's kind of a dick. Yeah. So like he's the one who calls out that his son doesn't have a meteorology degree. He He can't just be proud that his son is making well into the six figure range as a main weatherman in a major U.S. city. That's not good enough. Right. And yeah, that's fair. I mean. But I, I didn't really like that his his dad is not a stupid man. No. no. So, you know, it, it seemed kind of counter to his character that he would he can he can not like that and have a conversation with his son about it later. Yeah. About integrity and things like that. But that he would in front of the person that's interviewing his son actively. That's true. Tell him that he doesn't have a, a dog and like doesn't like dogs or something like that. You know, that that seemed a little counter to his character to me. That's fair. But, um, I get it. You know, it, it was if this is a story from um nick cage's character's perspective then i i in his mind everybody's trying to sabotage him anyway so i mean i you know yeah it is what it is um so yeah we find out through like another uh like not talking head but a voiceover that his mom found out about living funerals saw it on tv or read about on the internet or something like that and uh was and they she planned one for her husband, which if you don't know what a living funeral is, it's when somebody gets a terminal diagnosis and uh, you have what is that? What it's what it sounds like. They invite all the people that are important to you in your life and they come and give speeches about how much this person means to them uh, and just, you know, has a has a, a time, an emotional but also good time just like celebrating the life of this person that is soon to pass. Um. And so, of course, you know, being his son, Nick Cage's character gets to have a chance to speak. And as soon as he goes up, you know, we we hear like some other speech that's really kind and nice about the dad, but a little superficial. And Nick gets up there with a speech prepared and he gets like one line out that's something like, 
uh, my dad reminds me or this pete seeger song reminds me of my dad like a rock he, but not at that point we don't know what the song is no no he gets oh, to oh does he say that yeah yeah he, my, my father's a lot uh, is a lot like <laughs> like seeger's like a rock and then the okay. power goes and then out. yeah immediately the power goes out and it's for a while they have a bunch of time to set up candles and like candles and things like that i think and... it says 40 minutes yeah, and then yeah. the lights come back on, and by that time everybody's like leaving, and he doesn't get to finish his speech. And and man, that made me feel bad. I just think about if I, that was me in that situation, how just devastated I would be. You yeah. know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, then I mean, we get another voiceover that's essentially saying that you know, not long after that was the real funeral, uh, and that he, his dad passed away. Um, I guess we forgot to mention earlier that there's a three-month time skip in there where he decides that he's going to go learn archery and try and teach his daughter. Right. And so he goes to this archery range and buys a three-month membership, and it shows him, like, at the beginning being really bad at it, but then he actually gets quite good at it. Very, very good. And very knowledgeable. Like, he really dives all into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that comes into play later, but... Um, well, he does bring it to the living funeral and seemingly he brings it is... to the living funeral. I know he brought it to the actual funeral. No, it's 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 the it's the living funeral because his dad is still there in the shot because he's going to. That's like, right. Because it looks like he's going to shoot Russ. With... Yeah. So he goes outside and he starts doing some archery outside into a tree, which is not something you're supposed to do generally. Um, the first one like ricochets off. Tree. It's dangerous. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not supposed to do that. Uh, but he ends up sinking a few into the tree, and and this whole time we're like, oh god, he's gonna fucking kill Russ, isn't he? <laughs> and and then sure as hell, Russ comes walking out smoking on the patio by him. himself. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, Nick has an arrow knocked and is aiming it right at <laughs> Russ. And he and his the rest of his family comes out and sees this, uh, including his dad. And then he puts the arrow away. He puts puts everything away. Um, but yeah, that was that was an interesting scene. I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then they have his dad's real funeral, and of course, it's raining and miserable. It's pouring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's what happens at every funeral. Yeah, every movie funeral it seems like. <laughs> um, but it, in this movie, I mean, it, everything is. Con- I mean, weather is important for this movie, and. Uh, I, I I don't know. Everything kind of feels like it's just raining on this one guy. So, yeah, uh, you know, it was fitting in this circumstance. I was more OK with it than it just being there for the sake of depression, you know, or making it more dreary. Um, but yeah, but so he has his real funeral. Um, Actually, between that, because his dad isn't dead, we have some other stuff that happens. I was going to say, yeah, I skipped a whole lot. <laughs> okay, so we get a scene of Nick Cage shadow boxing, like in the middle of a park, mm-hmm. and then we see him drive to the house of the guy that uh, allegedly molested his son, and he beats the shit out of this guy. That's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty satisfying, uh, and he wants the guy to tell the police that his son did nothing wrong. Yeah, because he's he's claiming right that that Mike tried to steal his wallet, so there's charges against Mike at this point. Like Mike's really out on bail, essentially. Um, yeah, so. 
And so he apparently agreed to that. Um, so yeah, yeah well, but, that's the, it never comes up ever again. Yeah. Well, he so. does bring it up to his dad later, but well, I, was, I meant like, we never know for sure that the charges were dropped. It was just like, he took care of it. He, he right. It. And he tells his son that he went and took care of this guy. Um, and he's still like, at that point, it seems like he's a little adrenaline up from the whole thing, but um, yeah. My next note says fast food attacks. Oh, is this where they're going through all the different bits of fast food that have been thrown at him? Oh, and yeah. He, and he has that thing about like nutrition that we talked about, mm-hmm. about how there's no nutritional value to these. And, you know, well, people no, are willing so to throw... it depends when you're talking about it. Is that so there's the there's the scene with his son at the uh, food court of the mall. His son gets a couple of corn dogs or whatever, and they're kind of having a moment. And that's, well, that's he, when he says he took care of it, right? Yeah, but that's also when he talks about the fast food thing and about how people throw fast food at him. And that's where the nutritional... Right, that's why footnote this is fast food attacks. It is goes that, through and okay. shows a bunch of like different things that were thrown at him over the over the years. Um, so, I'll say this, Chicago people, you can really recognize a person from behind really well. No joke. Or just yeah. sitting in his car. Um, so... I don't remember what leads into this, but we get a really great what my favorite scene of the movie and one of one of my favorite scenes that we've watched in any of these movies with Michael Caine and Nick Cage in the car. And immediately his dad is like, uh, I, I wanted to hear something. And he turns on the song like a rock that Nick mentioned at his living funeral, which obviously like his dad heard that this is the first acknowledgement that his dad really cared about anything that he had to say yes yes and he explains that he doesn't get it really why why the song would remind him and nick kind of explains it um but they have this is the first time where you really feel like for nick cage's character that his dad wants him to know that he cares about him more you know like it's a that that it's like it feels like a father-son scene and it's kind of the first scene in the movie that really feels that way between these two characters it's a really moving scene i thought i don't know it touched me in an emotional way and i and i was i couldn't pull myself away from the scene to make notes on what was said um but it was a really great scene i mean you had two big time like you're talking top tier actors just giving into a scene um and i really appreciated that i don't know if you had the same feeling about it but for me yeah, i was it was a really great scene not that intent intensely but it was it was a very nice scene and it is it is the first time and from that point forward robert does change how he talks to his son um uh, in the rest of the movie he reads his book for example, yeah. right, he kind of talks about being proud of him, you know, and, and things like that. Like it, it, he he like softens up, and maybe it's because he knows he's nearing the end. Um, I'd like to think that that's not the reason, but you know, well, even if it is, I mean, I don't think that that matters as much as just the fact that he got to that point. You know, whatever the reason is that got him to that point. Sometimes people need something like that to just kind of break them out of this you know, whatever kind of mind prison that they're in at a moment, you know, all of us live in our own little bubble 
And yeah. sometimes there's things happening around you that you don't even realize unless until something big happens and kind of shatters that bubble. And then you start to see, you know, the truth. And I feel like that's what happened in it. Maybe it was the fact that he's about to die that does it. Maybe it wasn't. But for me, it wasn't really important how he got to that point, just that he got to that point. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Nick's character could have some sort of resolution before the dad passed away and, and he wasn't ever able to get that resolution. He would have just spent the rest of his life upset, you know, that he didn't get that feeling with his dad ever. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah, so then we get the funeral. Not, you know, it was sad. Um, There's this visual that ever since he starts taking the uh, archery class of Nick Cage walking with a quiver and a bow in a, like a full business suit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but I just love that visual. It's a really cool visual because I think it's just combining two things that you just don't really see. The, t- the type of person that would generally wear a business suit is not the type of person that's necessarily going to go bow hunting and if they did or or shooting a target shooting with a bow i should say and if they do they don't usually wear that stuff while they're doing it mm-hmm. so i just i don't know the, the the weird dichotomy of that was was interesting to me and i really like that visual a lot um well, he's I'd, also I'd like walk- to cosplay that someday oh, <laughs> you know? yeah, man. just nick cage in a suit with like a, the bow and arrow i feel like it would take a very specific person to get to that <laughs> and to get that reference but it's just a really neat visual you know yeah no, it, it is, and especially the fact that he's walking in like urban environments, and yeah, he's walking through the city, right? Which is not typically where you would see anybody carrying a bow, right? <laughs> so. It's such a pr- such a primitive weapon in something you know modern is mm-hmm. well, two thousand five isn't really modern at this point, but you know what I mean. In I a mean, modern, compared to a the more modern of the setting. bow, well, that's yeah, that's <laughs> definitely true. In geological time, it's much different. Um, so yeah, then he we find out he got the job uh in new york and so he's by the way this dude calls him like 30 times trying to get an answer he must have really wanted him wow like most places would have not (laughs) but he does say in the message that we hear him leave that he's really wants that he really liked him and really wants him so you know call him back or whatever so we know this guy's really enthusiastic about having his character as a as their weatherman yeah, I just so, I can't imagine somebody wanting me for a job that much. That's true. I can't <laughs> imagine somebody wanting you for a job that much either. Right? I'm just saying. Um, you know. But yeah, he gets the job. And so, yeah, this is when we start getting some of the really cool visuals of him, like, walking around New York with, like, a full bow and quiver. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we, I think the movie, if I remember right, it ends with just, uh, you know, him kind of giving a, a weather report and saying, hello, America. Yeah, well, he he gets to do the actual float. We get to see him in the real. Oh parade, yeah, that's true. Right, and his kids are watching it from home in Chicago because they of course stayed with their mom. It, it's similar to his vision, but yeah, his family isn't there at all. But he uh, seems happy. Everybody seems does. better off at the end of the movie for one reason or another. Um, yeah, it's unclear exactly how all those threads come together, but everyone does seem happier. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, that's how the movie ends. Yeah. And uh, so it's a it's a weird movie. It was <laughs> I mean, movie. watching it, there was a lot of scenes. I'm like, what? what is what even is this? You know, which we get a lot in Nick Cage movies. But this one was definitely a different version of that. I mean, it, just a lot of scenes that you that are kind of a little nonsensical in the context of the movie, but they just are more character development scenes. It was Gore Verbinski, right? That directed this. 
That's correct. I thought he did a. I thought it was a yeah. very interesting movie and very enjoyable to watch. Um, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she didn't seem to enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, so I mean, I, maybe it's a little more polarizing than I anticipated it being. Um, but I anticipated coming to this and you thinking that it was a pretty enjoyable movie, one of the better movies we watched to this point as well. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, for those who don't know, though, Gore, Gore Verbinski, uh, he directed the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies and The Ring, uh, just as a couple examples. I think at one point he was supposed to direct the Bioshock movie, too. Oh, I mean, that would be very interesting if that movie ever gets made. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I did. I enjoyed it. I think it's a very interesting movie. I think it's very well written, well acted, well performed, with the exception of Michael Caine's accent. Yeah. Um, you know, but otherwise, like, it's just a very interesting movie. I really like Nick Cage's performance in this. He delivers Agreed. some really phenomenal lines that are just they're supposed to be mundane but they're not when he says them and just um, this use, use of like facial emotion like he really it sounds so petty like a small thing but he, i mean you really feel like this character is feeling this thing these things when these awkward moments happen mm -hmm. i mean he reacts as you would think he would and it's believable and you know sometimes that kind of stuff those those like smaller bits of a movie it's easy to just like overlook but with him you can't overlook it because you're you're buying into what's happening and he really sells it in this movie he did a really great job with that i agree and you know maybe it helped that there are some parallels between the character and his real life especially on the family side of things um but whatever the whatever it was that was his motivation yeah he really sinks into the character well um a couple fun facts for the movie the score is by hans zimmer I knew you would like the score because they, the score was really good too. They did a really good job. There was a there's a couple themes that played throughout the movie that were really well done. I, I can't remember what about them because I'm not as big of a score guy as you. But there was a few times where it stood out to me that there was recurring themes in the score that kind of brought together moments that would otherwise seem unrelated. Well, so. you know, scores tend people tend to pay attention to them in big blockbusters, right? Superhero flicks, Jurassic Park, things like that. But it's it's movies like this that really still need a very solid score because they help keep the movie alive and feeling like a living thing. And the score really follows Nick Cage's character around. That's really what it's doing, and it, it matches his tone and his mood and. You know, as as he tries new things, the score is trying to to match those experiences. And uh, it was really good. And, and seeing that it was Hans Zimmer, you know, in the end was just like, well, you know, he's a master class at it. Uh, but Gore Verbinski played guitar in the score for the movie, which wow. is kind of wild. Yeah, it is. Uh, so cool good for good for that for him that's pretty neat and gore was the one throwing all of the food at nicholas cage <laughs> one has to wonder if he brought nicholas cage on this just because he didn't like him and wanted to throw food at him i don't know i don't know i don't know that is funny, maybe though. but that's it yeah just my a couple fun facts um yeah. all right well we got a grade the movie now so for those who you know don't watch the show don't listen to the show we grade all of our movies on our cajo meter score of uh one to 20 one low 20 high we do this for quality and caginess and um well ryan let's start with quality 
How would you rate the overall quality of the weatherman? I mean, it wasn't Pig. It wasn't leaving Las Vegas. You know, it wasn't Joe. Um, but but it was uh, definitely better than a lot of the other movies that we've watched of his by a significant margin. I, I, I think I think I'm going to put it like a 14. Is that where was that around where you're at? So I was actually going to give it a 14, okay, which is really perfect. funny. Yeah, um, I was thinking 15 at first, but I was like, I don't know if it was quite that good, but. I mean, so, I would definitely enjoy watching it again. I agree. Yeah. Um, so you gave Joe a 14. Oh, did I? Okay. Did. Well. And, and uh, I put this movie very much on par with The Family Man from a quality standpoint. Now, sure. I prefer The Family Man. I enjoyed that movie more. But I gave that a 14. And I think this is on the same level of sure, quality. Yeah, I would agree with that. So are you watching that this Christmas, this holiday season? Oh, that's a fun idea. That's a fun idea. I might Maybe actually watch to- it with your whole family. Uh, my my daughter's a little young to to care about that. There's some there's some themes in there that probably wouldn't be great either, but she's not going to pay attention. That's true. Um, <laughs> can't get her to pay attention to movies. She does. You have like. to have at least one Nicolas Cage movie in your you know holiday lineup. Of course, yeah. Well, he is in a Christmas Carol, so we'll get oh, to so that at some go. point. Um, all right, so then we got caginess, overall caginess. This one's a little tougher because a lot of his caginess is subtle in this movie, but I think there's a lot of it. Yeah, I agree. And there, there's are there are scenes where it's not so subtle. I mean, when he freaks out on the guy at the DMV, yeah. uh, when he fi- freaks out on his, uh, you know, ex-wife's boyfriend. Or when he throws or the pie at the, in the dude's face in the right. car. I mean, I think it's pretty high on the, uh, I think, yeah. Uh, I'll, I want to hear what you want to rate it for caginess. Um, it's tough. I don't want to go too high. I was thinking about giving it like a, I, th- I was also thinking like a 14, uh, cause I don't think it quite hits leaving Las Vegas. Right. Right. And I gave that a 15. And so I want to put it below leaving Las Vegas, but I think it's more than say, um, like, like guarding tests. What was guarding tests? I, I gave that a 12. You gave that a 13. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm kind of in that range too. I was thinking 13. Okay. Um, so we're not far off on that. Yeah. This is kind of a weird one because I, I maybe guarding tests is in a similar, you know, area of the, of our grade because there's not a lot of movies that are like decent quality and decent caginess. I mean, it's really close. So guarding test was a 13 on quality and a 12 and a half on caginess. This is a 14 on quality and a 13 and a half. That's what I mean. Like there's not that many movies in this little quadrant so far that we've done. I mean, maybe there'll be more as we go, but um, the the family man is not far off from there. um, And Moonstruck is just on the outside above just on the outside of of there. So like there's a couple of things, but they're very specific kinds of movies. And I I really enjoy these. Yeah, I agree. These are these are kind of my favorite ones to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like his a uh, critical acclaimed performances too, but they're not like movies that I want to watch multiple times. But these movies, basically all the ones you just named Moonstruck, this movie, um uh Family Man, you know, all those I feel like I could watch several times and not really be sick of them. Right, exactly. So yeah. I think that's an important thing. You know, we have these quadrants and this quadrant I don't want to watch again. This quadrant, I do want to watch again, you know? <laughs> yes. It's funny how that all worked out. It is. It is pretty funny. Yeah. No, I'm with you. 
All right, so we got to figure out what movie is going to join our wheel and replace Weatherman, or The Weatherman, excuse me, and that is going to be, oh, finally, Vampire's Kiss joins oh, the wheel. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for that to come up. So to find out what Nicolas Cage movie we talk about next time on the show, you'll have to watch our wheel O cage. Go to comingofcage.com, or you can go follow us at Coming of Cage on Facebook, we're on YouTube uh, under Dorico Studios. That is our production company. And of course, you can find us on Twitter and TikTok um, under my stuff because I post some of our videos over on TikTok. Um, Ryan, anything else for The Weatherman? No, I'm glad we finally got to watch it. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to what is next, but we'll me have too. to wait and find out. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces. And we'll be back in two weeks. Happy New Year. Thank you see to our ya. sponsor, McDonald's, uh, Arby's, <laughs> Taco Bell, and 7-Eleven. I will take any one of those. Yeah, I got, I got, here you go. So the the product placements, I got Motorola, Arby's, 7-Eleven, DQ, McDonald's, Burger King, Kenny Rogers, and SpongeBob. Thank you to all those for sponsoring the show. <laughs> and the weatherman. And the weatherman. See you next time.